Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. I lost my mom when I was 10 years old, and then my grandmother, she passed away when I was 21. And it was such an eye-opening moment on how different it was to grieve when you were a kid versus when you were a young adult. For me and for others who were like me and had experienced loss, it started off creating a space where you can actually talk on and publish stories on. I started it with $13 and a URL. Um, and since then, it's turned into an online community, and we've been able to publish hundreds of different personal essays across different lived experiences with grief. It helped define the trajectory of not only my career, but of my life. You just heard from Vivian, who lost her mother at the age of 10 and her grandmother at the age of 21. She started an online community called Too Damn Young to help support young teens who've experienced loss. In addition to that, Vivian also is the community manager at Option B. Option B is a nonprofit organization that has turned into a huge support network for people who are going through loss and anyone who's gone through any kind of life-altering event. And that's what we're talking about today, grief and vulnerability. Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call podcast. I'm Dr. Asha Shah Jahan. Our goal is to help you and your family live smarter and healthier lives. Today we're talking about grief and leaning into vulnerability. Whether it's through the loss of a loved one, going through a divorce, or getting an unexpected diagnosis, we all have struggles that we're going through. We've all been vulnerable. The key is how we're able to embrace vulnerability, even when we're feeling scared or unsettled, to bring us to a better place. Perhaps we could see vulnerability as a tool in building resilience. Our conversation today is going to be fascinating, from talking about Sheryl Sandberg's Option B to a discussion on being too damn young. Joining us today is Vivian Nunez, the community manager at Option B, and also the founder of Too Damn Young, a resource and community for teens who have experienced loss. Vivian, thanks so much for being here today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. So I've always loved Sheryl Sandberg's work. Um, I read her book, Lean In, and I had just started my first job when it had come out. And I had copies of Lean In all over my office and would give it out to my female colleagues. And we would all just talk and vent about the injustices in the workplace. And I just saw Sheryl as such a powerhouse. And then later on, she came out with a book called Option B. And there I saw a different Sheryl, equally as powerful, but more open and vulnerable. She wrote about losing her husband unexpectedly. This book became a game changer for me. It was a book that I ended up sending anyone who I knew was going through a difficult time, a death of a loved one, a divorce, struggling to have children. Everybody wants option A and not option B, but sometimes life forces us to choose option B. Her vulnerability was so powerful and relatable. So Vivian, You know, you've accomplished a lot in your life. You've become an expert on grief and vulnerability. You're also a New York-based entrepreneur, writer, and public speaker. And you've been around the world talking about grief and vulnerability. You started working as the community manager at Option B. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what Option B is, uh, kind of a summary of, of the book and how it's a tool for grief? 
I read the book before I was ever involved with option B. And I remember underlining sentences after sentences because there were so many moments that I related to or that I could easily fit a particular moment in my life into. Having a book that actively does that, I think, really just allows you to put words into things that you're feeling and then use that same language to communicate it to someone else who maybe would have a harder time understanding it or you would have a harder time explaining it to. I also read the book um, as a fan of Sheryl Sandberg. And then when I saw what it was about, I, it just it really changed the way that I looked at obstacles in life. And so for those that aren't mm-hmm. familiar, Sheryl Sandberg is the chief operating officer of Facebook. And uh, she wrote a book called Option B with Adam Grant, who was a psychologist. And basically what it was about was finding strength in the face of adversity. So it's a story really about how she lost her husband, but then there are several other stories that are told within this story. And it's just really offers a lot of practical tips in creating resilient families and how to talk to other people Mm -hmm. in times of crisis. And I think that was the part that I really enjoyed about it is that all of us have been through some type of grief, but no one really knows how to talk about it. And then also for those that haven't gone through grief, they feel that it's awkward or they don't want to bring it up. They mm-hmm. don't know what to say. And I felt like this was a great resource for that. A hundred percent. There's a part in the book where Cheryl says about two weeks after losing her husband, there was a father-son event. And she was crying to a friend that she wanted her husband, Dave, to be there for the event. Um, and the friend said um, very boldly, and I quote, Option A is not available, so let's kick the shit out of option B. What does it really mean to live option B? Everyone's option B is different, and and it takes some getting used to. It takes some understanding and even like learning how to identify what it is for you in your particular experience. It's the fact that it's not the first option, right? It's not the option that you want. It's kind of like your plan B. I think that option B is just, what you have left to deal with and the cards that you have to deal with once option A is no longer an option and making the most of your life from that moment that you're actually stepping in, which is where the idea of resiliency being something that we can actually build on becomes so important because it means that we have the strength to then figure out how to own option B, how to enjoy it, and how to find the touch points within it that will help us grow. I love that you said how to enjoy it. Um, In the book, they also talk about um, post-traumatic growth, which I thought was a great Mm -hmm. term instead of post-traumatic stress. And that it's basically talking about the fact that, yeah, we have these crushes and blows that happen to us, but it's finding the greater strength and deeper meaning in it. And that that you can uh, enjoy life again, that you can move to a different space. Um, can you talk a little bit about the growth that you've had um, since you've had the two losses? Yeah, of course. The great thing about post-traumatic growth that it, the book really emphasizes and then just the overall lived experience of optionb.org really, really brings home is the fact that everyone's post-traumatic growth navigates and grows at its own pace. And that we have it as a kind of light in in the far way where we can really try to hold on to it and know that it's there. But it isn't something that'll happen miraculously the moment that you decide that suddenly option B is going to be something you embrace. You learn to love it little by little. Mm -hmm. I think for me, it's looked a lot like finding community in the depths of hurt and pain and scars and 
loss and finding that not embracing shame in those moments actually leaves way more room for love and acceptance and to find someone who understands what I've gone through. But it took a long time. I mean, and it also took a lot of getting used to the role that grief was going to play in my life, regardless of how many years it's been since my mom's death, for instance. It'll be 17 years this January. Mm -hmm. And there is not a year that goes by that that isn't felt. It's just felt differently every single time. Yeah. um, Ariana Huffington, I think, says it best. She says that grief isn't about closure. um, And it's not something to overcome or get past. It's something to lean into and to embrace. And I think that Mm -hmm. whole idea of something that you're going to get over it and that's sort of what you're referring to it's like you don't ever get over it it's just different as each year passes it's growth right i think that you end up growing up with grief once you have it in your life you can't you can't get rid of it and so it grows with you and it changes and it morphs the space it takes and the weight it has and the ways it shows up, right? When I was mm-hmm. growing up and I was a teenager, my grief looked a lot different than what it looks like when I'm 26. And it'll look a lot different in a few years if I ever decide to have kids or if I decide to get married. And it'll look, and it'll continuously look a lot different depending on the life stage I'm in. And the hardest part I think of that is making sure that it it's an acceptance thing during the first kind of few years of figuring out how to actually navigate the fact that it will continue to grow with you. Yeah. And I think that's the part that a lot of people forget about is that in maybe in the first year um, or maybe the first year or two, there seems to be a lot of um, support and understanding and that it could be, you know, 10 years later and you're still grieving, um, maybe not in the same way, but because you still miss that person mm-hmm. and, and you feel like they're not um, experiencing those important milestones in your life. I had a patient, mm-hmm. um, and it was actually uh, the first um, death I had as a, as a doctor, as a resident, and a, a patient's daughter, and I had gotten very close. And so she passed away. It's probably been about um, six years now that she passed away, but every Christmas... Mm-hmm. I get a message from her daughter just wishing me, you know, a happy, happy um, holiday. And it's mm-hmm. like it, it comes every every time around that year, uh, around Christmas. And she didn't pass away around Christmas time. But I just know the holidays is a particularly difficult time for people mm-hmm. who are grieving. Um, so it's holiday season upon us. And what is some advice for someone who it's maybe their first holiday without their loved one? How does one get through the holidays? Option B has some awesome resources, and we have a program that we launch every holiday season, hashtag Option B there, and it really helps if you are someone who is trying to support someone who has lost someone or is going through a difficult time during the holiday season, or if you're that person who is trying to figure out how to ask someone to actually support you during that tough season. And so there's a slew of resources and different touch points that can really help navigate the trickiness and the layered versions of, of what the season can be mm-hmm. on a personal level. I've, I've found that the most effective things for me is giving myself the space to acknowledge that it's going to be different every single year. That some years can be really hard and some years I may not feel it as much or at all. And being okay that on the years that I do feel it, it doesn't mean that it is going to dominate me and, and, take everything from me 
And on the years that I don't, it doesn't mean that I love my mom or my grandma any less. But I have found that it's really helpful on both scenarios to make sure that you have some plan to be able to fall back on in case you're having a really hard day and it isn't just the major holidays. It's any days in the holiday season. And knowing that you have someone to turn to or talk to or a hobby or a habit to really help make you feel a bit more comforted during that hard time makes a difference. Um, And you were speaking specifically about that, the connection you have with the patient's daughter. And I think that's so beautiful because one of the things that we end up missing a lot once we've lost someone is are those people who also knew them? (laughs) And sometimes even just a small mention of saying, hey, makes a difference because I know that there's a shared connection of someone who who knew my mom or my grandma and not having to explain who they were makes a really big impact, especially during a season when I sometimes feel like they may feel incredibly erased. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, you know, reaching out to people um, who, you know, knew your loved one or even uh, for people who haven't experienced grief as much. I think, like we talked about, like grief is very personal and everyone grieves differently. And there's really no right or wrong way to grieve. It's what's authentic to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And everyone manages grief a little differently. Some people like to give back and honor the memory of their loved one. Other people, they like to be, Mm -hmm. you know, more private. And so for our listeners, for people who are like, um, you know, my best friend just lost somebody or I want to I want to know how to support, but I haven't gone through grief. And, you know, what should I do? You know, people always say to do and not to ask. So like bring over food or, yeah. you know, give a phone call and n- never say, is there anything else I can do? Um, rather mm-hmm. just do it. So what is your advice for people on, on how to support others? I think in the first few months, a year, the doing instead of asking is definitely a big one. Mm-hmm. So just showing up and being there is probably key and making sure you're bringing stuff with you during those first few months makes a difference because the reality is that when when you've experienced something like this the first thing to sometimes go from your like to-do list of necessities is actually taking care of yourself so having others who can help you take care of you for a little bit makes a really big difference right and I think to after that time or even during that time it's acknowledging that you don't have to have gone through a loss or anything difficult lived experience wise to be able to support someone who has it comes down to your ability to really listen Mm -hmm. instead of to project onto someone else and to be able to sit there and listen and take in and to ask pivotal questions right more like hi do you want to talk about your mom and giving someone the space to just talk and not necessarily pushing anything else on them, that is probably the best way to help someone during this season because more often than not, they're not getting asked. I remember, um, you know, I was going through a particularly difficult time over the last year, mm-hmm. and um, I had several friends call. Um, most of my friends live out of state, and they'd call and say, do you want me to come visit? And I would say, no, you know, I'm fine. But I had my best friend, she just picked up and came. Mm-hmm. Like she didn't, she wasn't waiting for me to say, yes, come. She just came and she just showed up. And that meant so much to me that she just showed up and was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no agenda. It's like, I'm just here to hang out and we can just sit on the couch and talk all weekend. Or um, if you want me to help you do things, I can help you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just meant so much to me um, when I was grieving because I just, I didn't know how to voice what I needed. 
Um, Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like you go into this sort of depression and you don't really want to pull other people into it either. Like I kind of, at least that's how I felt. I felt like I didn't want to burden other people and that I was going through something on my own. What is your suggestion in terms of like verbalizing your, like your need? If you are the person grieving, how do you verbalize your need to your friends and family? My first suggestion is always to make sure that you actually know what you what you want on a personal level. And journaling does that for me. So just being able to write it out and figure out what do I need right now and how do I need it, then makes it a lot easier to ask someone else to be there for you in that specific way. Right, because sometimes it's the specificity that allows for that space to be had. Because it's really hard when someone hasn't gone through a loss to say, well, I just want to be able to talk about them in this way, or I just want to be able to feel like I'm being paid attention to versus I want to be able to talk to them about them. One tool that I use with um, my patients is this uh, thing called life mapping. Mm-hmm. The sake for grief, I think what's cool about it is that you kind of just like um, draw or either write words or symbols of kind of everything mm-hmm. that's that makes you happy in general. So it's like sunshine, mm-hmm. uh, family, friends, biking, you know, whatever activity it is. And then what is it that's currently making you so sad um, and kind of drawing and identifying those things. And then what I and what I do is I you know, step out of the room and ask uh, my patient to do that. And when I come back in, um, we sit together and start trying to figure out how we can insert more of the things that m- that made them happy into their daily life. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times when you're going through something very difficult, you know, whether it's grief through a loss or like we mentioned, even things like uh, people having trouble with fertility and having children or, mm-hmm. um, you know, a divorce or losing something, it, you just kind of go into this tunnel and mm-hmm. you you forget to do all the things that you used to do that used to make you happy. I love that because putting it on paper both if it's something that's really heavy on your mind or if it's something that you're really trying to add more into your life, makes such a difference in you being able to visualize and, and know specifically what you're trying to work towards. Yeah, exactly. And like, just like you said, the journaling is fantastic as well. So those are um, some ways that uh, people can kind of really see a plan or see a vision for the for the future. Mm-hmm. I want to um, switch gears just a little bit. Uh, you know, you had talked to the United Nations, like how cool is that, um, about <laughs> vulnerability as a leadership quality. But I, I just wanted for you to just talk to our listeners a little bit about how vulnerability is a human quality and how it's also, um, you know, used in grief. By encouraging vulnerability is encouraging the expression of humanity. Mm-hmm. And when we are able to openly say, I am going through something or I'm living through something or this is really difficult or is making me joyful or anything that is just a human quality, we end up creating these connection points for someone else to be able to say, yeah, that also is how it's happening for me. And oh, yeah, I'm actually really living that too. And then suddenly we become much stronger as a unit, mm-hmm. but it takes being able to bring your walls down just a bit. I love that you said, you know, you have to work at it and it takes time and it takes effort, but that it can be a strength. And we've all kind of been vulnerable. I mean, as a doctor, I know I've been vulnerable mm-hmm. um, in things in my life, and yet I have to be responsible and take care of patients. You know, you mentioned that you went through grief as a 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. If you could just talk about what grief is like for someone uh, so young at that age, and how was that different than when you were an older adult? My mom had 
been in the hospital for about two, three months before she passed away. But it was, even that though she was in the hospital, it was still sudden. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't remember grieving as a kid. I think I was given more permission to feel sad, mm-hmm. but I wasn't given permission to actively deal with the grief I was living and name it and give it a dictionary and, and learn about it. I was mostly just allowed to be sad. And I think that there should always be a little bit more guidance in how we allow kids to navigate that, those feelings and like give them a little bit more direction. Um, but it is really difficult. And I think when I was 21, the biggest dissonance I found between grieving at 21 and at 10 was that space. Because at least at 10, I was allowed to be sad. At 21, I was expected to move on with my life the next day. And it was extra complicated because for me, my grandma was my second mom. Mm-hmm. And so the relationship there was not usually honored by people who didn't know us intimately as, as such. Right. So there was this expectation that I was just going to move forward without ever having to stop long enough to grieve. And I ended up, I think, using my grandmother's death as an opportunity to actively figure out how to actually grieve my own mom too. Yeah. Um, but it's hard. And I think that when we, when we give ourselves the time to figure out what that's supposed to mean for us, we end up learning a lot about how grief manifests in our life. For instance, like we were talking about how hard the holidays are. Thanksgiving just wrapped. And I realized that this year it didn't manifest how it usually does, which is like, it actually was just in my body and I felt really tired and I felt like I didn't want to tackle my to-do list. It took about a day or two for me to actually realize that that was grief manifesting in my body as a bigger sign of, hey, take it slow because it's Thanksgiving and you're trying to work your way through it. I think that's a great point that you brought up is that it can manifest uh, in the, in your body. Like you don't have to, grief mm-hmm. looks different. It doesn't always mean that you're, you know, sobbing and, and crying and it's visi- like visible to other people. It could be something feeling... Mm-hmm deep down inside, just like an emptiness or a fatigue or just not wanting to do all the things that you, you normally do. And I think that's, that's a good introspection for people to realize it for themselves. Because um, like you said, you didn't really realize what was going on until you kind of sat back and said, you know what, I think this is this is about the grief. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned before about um, as a as a child, you were allowed to be sad. And then as an adult, you were expected to just move forward. I remember there was a close friend of mine who lost a parent in high school. And the very next day, you know, he came to school and everyone was like, what are you doing in school? You should be home. And and there was all this like judgment or like wonder. And his response was like, I'd rather be at school. Like I just I'm kind of like I'd rather just continue. And I don't think he was ready to process process it at that time. And then, you know, you look several years later, you know, another friend of mine unfortunately lost a loved one as an adult. And it was just like you said, they were expected to, you know, come back in two days back to work and get things going mm-hmm. and sort of push through life. And there, there is this, um, you know, there is a, a period where people do um, show support but then it kind of dwindles yeah. as time goes on. And that's why I think, it, you know, for listeners, holidays are so important um, just as kind of milestone markers to remember a friend or um, family member that's grieving or going through a tough time to, you know, maybe send them an extra card or give them a phone mm-hmm. call or try to make plans, even if, you know, they might have passed away in January and now it's, 
you know, Thanksgiving or they passed away several years ago. Um, just kind of remembering those important milestones or even, you know, birthdays and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. I think you mentioned before about um, how supportive your boyfriend um, is and the fact that he he never met your grandmother or your mother, correct? Yeah, no, he didn't meet my mom or my grandma. But yet you, I think you tell us a story about how he keeps their memories alive. A lot of little things that he does that helps bring home the fact that he remembers them and that he acknowledges the role that they played in my life. So if, for instance, he and I are talking about something or I am slightly annoying him, he'll look up at the ceiling and be like, oh man, you guys are just laughing up there. <laughs> and there's just something so wholesome yeah. about that, that when the first time he did that, I think I cried because it was this really wonderful, subtle, funny acknowledgement that these humans were mine. And that even if he didn't know them, he has some kind of funny relationship right. with them by way of like my pet peeves. Um, and that was really sweet. It was this the notion of bringing them into our life in a way that made sense just was so touching. It was also a really great lesson for me that it's okay if sometimes you have to teach someone how to talk about your grief and help them figure it out because sometimes people just don't know where to start. And if you give them a little bit, they end up taking a whole mile and, and having great moments like that. Yeah, I remember um, telling my best friend, um, I had never met her mom and her mom had passed away uh, when she was uh, a teenager. And I, I just mm -hmm. asked her, like, tell me about your mom. Like, what was she like? And because um, she would say, well, I'm so much like my mom. And I said, like, tell me how or mm -hmm. give me, tell me these stories. And, and it, it was awesome. kind of cool because then it's like, I, although I never knew her, I feel like I did. Mm -hmm. um, and we look through pictures and things. And so it's funny because I'll say, you know, you look so much like your mom. Um, and now, you know, she has kids of her own and I can, you know, see her, um, her kids and saying that like, oh, they look just like their grandma. And it's like, I'm able to do that only because I asked and I wanted to know about mm -hmm. it and learn more about it. It's so touching when someone does that. Yeah. So you have your own podcast um, called What Happened After? And that focuses on kind of what happens after major life events. Mm -hmm. It's been really awesome to have these conversations. I set up a podcast week by week on whether I'm talking to someone else or talking in a conversation with me and the audience itself. And having these real honest conversations about what happens after those big before and after moments in our lives and how sometimes those really defining moments aren't even that huge. They're subtle and quiet and maybe no one else notices them. And it's been a really big learning experience and how others perceive their own lives, how I perceive mine and how for as much as my mom's death and my grandmother's death has really impacted me, I think there have been other moments that have been the before and after moments in my own life. And it usually comes from what we were talking about earlier, which is that post-traumatic growth more than the actual pivotal moment itself. Yeah, I'm sure it's a great resource for people. Um, and speaking of that, what are some resources for our listeners that are available through Option B? Through optionb.org, which is a nonprofit initiative focused on helping people build resilience, we have different touch points, which is the website itself and the resources that exist on it from our experts and our, our own Option B stories. And then we also have the Option B groups, which we have five of them currently. And they all intersect that some version of what the book was also talking about. So whether it's grief or divorce or 
building resilient kids or surviving abuse and sexual assault or living with health challenges, Mm -hmm. there's all these different communities that can hopefully help create some version of support and understanding around whatever you're navigating. Yeah, I love the fact that it's a way to connect with other people. And it's not solely about um, death and grief in that manner. Mm -hmm. They also talk about many other things like mental illness, infertility, Mm -hmm. divorce, um, getting an unexpected diagnosis such as cancer, being sexually assaulted or abused. Um, And I think also, so there's option B, the book. And then from that stemmed this organization that is the option B.org. And um, on there, there's there's three ways that you can kind of connect. Um, and they have one, which is sharing stories. Uh, two is connecting with people who understand so you can actually have dialogue. And then three, there's um, an area about learning how to build resilience. And one thing that I really mm-hmm. like about that is that they have a section called Raising Resilient Kids, which I think is fantastic, mm-hmm. especially for we people. We also have a group on that, too. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Like, it's... That's great. Um, That's a great resource for parents and then also, um, you know, for kids that have gone through um, grief and difficult times. So one last takeaway for our listeners, what would that be? To make sure that they're being kind to themselves, as kind as they are to those they love the most. And if you are someone who knows someone who is going through a really hard time, whether that's grieving a person they love or a divorce or any slew of different situations, just know that the best thing you could possibly do is reinforce the idea that you are there with them through the good and the bad mm-hmm. and that you'll help them figure out what that option B has to look like and find the path to figuring out how to enjoy it. Yeah, it's basically hashtag option B there, right? <laughs> be there. <laughs> um, Vivian, you're such an inspiration and your work is so meaningful and just relatable to so many people. I'm sure your grandmother and your mother are so proud of you and all the work that you've done and and what comes in the future, I'm sure. I'm excited and waiting to see what uh, what the future holds for you. And I, I think today's podcast um, is is not only a great tool for people uh, to learn how to cope, uh, but also how to push through vulnerable times. And, you know, rather than seeing grief and vulnerability as a weakness, you know, perhaps it can be viewed as a process. And as you said, a muscle that needs to be exercised. So thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much. We also want to remind you to send along any questions or suggestions to podcast at Beaumont.org. In the future, we'll be answering our mailbag. Till the next time, thanks for joining us on the Beaumont House Call. We leave you today with this healthy thought. Grief is an experience that occurs whenever you've lost someone or something you loved. It could be a spouse, a job, going through a life challenge such as divorce. If you haven't read Option B, I encourage you to give it a read. It's really helped me process the raw emotions of grief. If you have a teen that's grieving, take a look at Too Damn Young. It's such a valuable resource. We learned today from Vivian about the power of vulnerability. Grief is a common human experience, but all too often, nobody wants to talk about it. Hopefully now you have some tools to discuss loss openly with people who are going through it. As Sheryl Sandberg says in her book, in some way, we're all living option B, but how do we make the most of it? We have the power to shift the negativity of grief and vulnerability to a place of strength that not only changes us from within, but has the potential to make a real difference in the lives of others.
Continue your journey to living a smarter, healthier life. Visit Beaumont.org slash podcast to access information and resources related to today's podcast. 